The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. All right, we're here with Spencer, and Spencer's just going to read to us the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. <laughs> no, that would probably be pretty boring. Actually, Spencer and I just came from a pickleball tournament. Did you win the championship? I did or, not. Wait, you made it to the championship, and I, then you left. I left in, in um, protest of some political... I left so I could prepare my podcast, because oh, okay. this is a... That's you know, good. for a fish like you, it's easy to swim. I have to prepare for these things. <laughs> I but I'm super excited. Neither of us are sweating, so pickleball does not make us sweat. So that's good. Um, no, it is good though. I'm I'm excited to be here because we're going to be talking about re- really this book. I mean, you uh, turned me onto this book, and and we're teaching it for a while. So I read it recently, and it's the four disciplines of execution. Um, and and basically, I mean, let's start with a little bit of an introduction. Here's the premise: in an organization, you have strategy, and then execution on that strategy, right? And and the question, I mean, where do you imagine most organizations fail? Yeah, of course. You know, strategy is comes pretty easily. It's, it's what we learn, right? That's, yeah. that's hard. And, you know, as, as we get started. What, why is that? Why is it that the execution is hard? Well, I, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's a lack of focus on the execution. We focus and think the strategy will get us there. Yeah. So it's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. But I, I will say this. Um, this book's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. I've heard about this book from other people. I hadn't read it until this year. Who is it? It's, it's Chris McChesney, Sean Covey, Stephen Covey's yeah. son. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, their website is awesome. And yeah. it's uh, it's Franklin Covey's stuff, which yeah. I think is what Stephen Covey, the author of right. uh, Seven Habits, kind of it morphed into, right? Right. But um, I just feel like this is a book for our time, Clay. Hmm. It's a book uh, that ha- talks about things that we really need right now. Coming out of covid Staffing shortages, more on our plate regulatorily, more on our plate probably emotionally. A lot of folks are working carts. A lot of yeah. folks are doing more than they've ever done, uh, and they're still having to lead. That's you know we're still a leadership company. That's yeah. what differentiates us. What this book does, and what I love about it, is it helps those of us that are maybe getting swept a little bit away by just everything going on. It helps point us in the right direction, give us some really practical steps yeah. to start getting results, being effective, winning again. Yeah. And I think, I think too, I mean, the point they make in the book is that, you know, in, in school, we're constantly trained on strategy. How many classes did you take on execution? Right. (laughs) And and I think it's what frustrates people sometimes with my trainings is, is I come out and we talk about certain strategies. We should employ this. We should, and then it's sort of like, okay, go do it. And, and how do we execute on that? I mean, that's the focus of this book. How do we actually take steps that will get us there? So let me, let me share the four disciplines of execution and then, and then uh, you know, we'll get into this. 
In fact, one of the things they say is that 70% of strategic failures are are due to execution. So so the four disciplines of execution, sometimes you call it 4DX, they're they're all about how to execute on whatever strategies we develop, right? It you know, and and it's it's how do we I ask people all the time, why do you think uh, Ensign has been so unique in their success? And oh, it's the core values or it's the people. And they, they mention a lot of strategies, but I wonder if if somewhere in there the answer is in the ability to execute. So again, talk to us why it's so hard to execute on strategy. Yeah, this this book um, shares some statistics. You know, like some of the other books we study, this is an empirically developed book. They did studies, not just good ideas. And in, in some of their studies- By empirically developed, you mean- they saw data that tested and proved that what, Interviews, what they were saying. They looked at cases and they tried to yeah. pull out um, principles that could, you know. Which is how good to great was. That's right? exactly right. They yeah. didn't start with a premise to prove. They started with the study and then the, it led them to the answer. Exactly. So okay. they started with questions. Okay. But what they found was as they interviewed people in organizations, they found that only 15% of people could identify even one goal of their organization. Hmm. In other words, Clarity was a huge issue. 85% of the people had no clarity about even what the main thing was at the organization, what they're really pushing for. Great question to ask yourself about your facility. If you, if we asked your people, what is your goal in this facility? What, what oh, would they say? supposed to clock in and out for lunch and... Right. I mean, that's <laughs> a problem. Clarity is yeah. so important. So, so it starts with, there's not clarity. And then add to that, they went on and, and uh, asked the people that did know the goal. 50% of those people had no passion for achieving it. Mm. So there wasn't clarity for it most wasn't people. Their goal. And then it wasn't their goal. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, it's, yeah, it's the company's goal. And then take it another level. So now we're down to seven and a half percent of people had mm. passion for the company's goal. And then 80% of that small group of people um, said they were never held accountable to the goal that was set. Mm. So people don't know the goals. Yeah. They don't buy into the goals. And there's no accountability around the goals. That last one is where I think I tend to fail uh, the most. I feel like I'm good at... at teaching the goals and, and rallying people around the goals. And then but that follow-up, that accountability is where I struggle. Well, it's what I love so much about this book is because, look, we're not going to succeed by having a formula, yeah. but we're going to fail by not hitting on these key points, yeah. creating clarity, you know, creating a, a path. And then, like you said, probably failures you may have are because of that last piece that's just equally important. And it's so hard for us with everything going on to remember to follow through and execute. So, okay, so he talks about this conflict, but he describes it as the whirlwind. Um, the whirlwind is what? It's it's your day-to-day, these are all the things we have to do. I need to have this meeting. I need to do these reports. And the whirlwind conflicts with with what we what you'd consider to be the goal, the, you know, the WIG, I guess they call it. Yeah, I, I mean, there are some terms they go into here that I think are great, but okay. let's even back up to okay. something from... From that we've been talking about forever, right? There's these quadrants in life. Okay. There's the important stuff and there's the urgent stuff. Right. And we tend to focus, you, you've taught this on other podcasts, we focus on what's urgent, whether it's important or not. But we seldom get to that quadrant of activities that is really important, really meaningful, but isn't urgent. No one's forcing us to do that. That's the hardest thing for us to do as leaders. The whirlwind to me is, and I'll give an example that maybe applies to some of the leaders listening to this podcast. You show up at the facility, 7.30, you go to your office, you set down your laptop, your, your, your bag, and you go and do your rounds. And there it goes. The whirlwind starts going. You know, on your rounds, you see some stuff, you start talking to people, it's all good. 
all right, it's time to go to stand-up. Okay, you run into stand-up and the, the meeting generates a bunch of stuff and there's follow-throughs and then you're out trying to help with those things. And then, you know, it may be three o'clock before you get back to your office for lunch, if you get lunch. And it's not that any of that is bad. You're doing mm-hmm. good things. The problem is none of that lends itself to strategic execution of the most important so things. So you maybe set an initiative that day where you said, okay, I'm going to do better at spreading the vision of the facility or creating a mission, or I'm going to do better at this, I, whatever initiative you have. And that gets swept up in the whirlwind because the urgency drowns out the initiatives. Yeah, that- exactly. You're, you find yourself reacting to things that come up in the moment, which is not bad. Yeah. Family complaints, um, surveyors in your building, you know, a, a leaky toilet even, or a yeah. call light that needs to be answered. All of these things are important. Yeah. But there are, the, the problem is they're urgent and they take away, if, if we only do the urgent, it takes away from these things. I, I found myself when I was in a facility, I'd have this ever-growing to-do list of strategic important things, you know, set up an appointment with this doctor who I know can really help our census or talk to the local college so I can really get in there and start recruiting people. But instead I found myself doing things like covering shifts or, you know, running around buying lunch for the people that were overworked because we weren't getting any applicants. We weren't getting applicants because I didn't do my part of being strategic going out there and meeting the colleges, things like that. Does that make sense? It does. I, I, the urgency of the day-to-day kills the initiatives. The whirlwind, right? It's about urgency. I, I think of the conversation we just had with market leaders. I, I said, debate me. I said, I, growing a great CIT program is one of the most important things that we can do. They all agreed. Okay, why are we not doing that? Why are we not as successful? I think the answer is the whirlwind. There are so many things in the whirlwind that that are clashing up with that, uh, or, or I should say the urgency of the whirlwind clashes up against those initiatives. And and we have to figure out, th- this book is trying to help us figure out how to execute within the whirlwind. That's exactly right? right. Yeah, there's a quote on page seven of it that says, when urgency and importance clash, urgency will win every time. Yeah. And so it, it it's not about not having a whirlwind. It's about making sure there's time when you're not in the whirlwind. Because if we spend all our time in the whirlwind, we will never get to the important stuff because urgency is taking the day every time. Yeah, I have to pick up my child from kindergarten. I know I should exercise more. When it's time to pick up that child from kindergarten, the exercise is going to be sacrificed because there's a very urgent matter of, and, and so, all right, so so that's what makes execution really difficult. Hopefully everybody listening is sort of empathizing with that that concept of, okay, urgency sweeps away the ability to execute. So so can I mention the four disciplines of execution? I'll introduce them and then, and then we'll just sort of go one by one. Um, and, and again, the four disciplines of execution are how you succeed in accomplishing your strategy. You, we're not talking about how to develop a strategy. Hopefully we're good at that. Now we need to know how to execute. Here they are. Discipline number one, focus on your wildly important goal. Sometimes you'll hear us refer to that as a wig, right? Learning to focus on your wildly important goal. Discipline two, act on your lead measures as opposed to your lag measures. And we'll, we'll get into the definition of that. Uh, discipline three, I love this one, create a compelling scorecard. Okay. And then discipline four, create, and where I said I fail the most, create a cadence of accountability. So so that's introducing them all. Let's start with discipline one and, and focusing on your wildly important goal. Like, talk to us about that. What does that mean? How do I put that into practice? Yeah. So maybe I can start with this. To me, this is the discipline of focus. 
Okay. okay. Good leaders, like most of you in the organization, um, we want to do more, not less. We want to take more, and we want to we want to solve the world's problems. That's probably why they're in the position. They're That's in. why you're in the position, yeah, and you're yeah. good at it. But um, the problem is, there's always more things to accomplish, yeah. more good things to accomplish than possible time and energy to do them all, right? So we have to learn to focus, and that's tough for us because we want to do everything. Uh, there's an example in the book of uh, um, Apple, you know, the, the phone mm-hmm. iPad makers, and and the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, he he was complimented as having a very very innovative company, and he said, "Wait a second, we're not an innovative company." <laughs> It's funny, he took exception to that. We are a focused company. We're the most focused company in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, that's really what they, they've done. They've picked a few things and they've obsessed at those things. Um, they go on to say in the book, you could probably put every Apple product on a small table, right? Yeah. But they do have done them relentlessly and they've done them very, very well. They're the most focused company in the world, according to their Kind of like in and out or Chick-fil-A. Yeah, or I mean, great examples. Strategies right. that, They're not everything. Yeah. They focus on a few things and they obsess on them and do, do really well. Why does my mind go to fast food? That's kind of, okay, anyway, <laughs> sorry. So I think, uh, I, so, so start with that. This is all about focus, okay? Mm-hmm. Don't get lost in the acronyms and things like that. Yeah. Wigs or focused goals, they don't eliminate the whirlwind. Uh, the whirlwind is actually what keeps us alive, the day-to-day. You know, you got to answer the call light. You got to respond to the family in there. But, Wigs allows, or focus allows us to t- at least take a percentage of our time and be disciplined at putting on, f- putting focus on what's going to have the greatest impact at getting us where we want to go. And that takes strategy, that takes time, and that takes discipline. Yeah. Yeah. The great, you know, I refer you to either the book or, or the podcast uh, that we've done on essentialism and becoming an essentialist, right? That this idea that we need to learn to become editors of our own lives. What does an editor do? An editor gets a lot of great material and they have to cut out all the things that are the least valuable. And and when you're focusing, I mean, I know the book says that, it, that you should really have no more than one to three wigs at the same time. They say, if you do one to three, they tend to get accomplished. If you do four to five, you tend to only accomplish one. They call that the law of diminishing returns. And it's yeah. a law that's as true as gravity, yeah. right? It's an economics principle and it's a principle that I've experienced in my life. It's not that, um, it's, it's, it's just reality. You can't focus on everything. By yeah. definition, you've taught this in one of the podcasts. You can't have, what is it you say? You can't have your priorities. Your, yeah, the word priority up until the 19, early 1900s was only a singular word. It wasn't until the 1900s that it became a plural word. It, was, it wasn't until the 1900s that we determined, oh, we can process more than one priority at a time which really up until that time was ridiculous. And I think the, the reality of this is it's not saying, um, what it is saying is when you pick what's most important, it doesn't mean you drop everything else. That would be ridiculous, right? right? We're right. in positions where we have to manage and juggle a lot of things. What yep. it's saying is the whirlwind tends to take care of a lot of stuff. There's inertia, you know, the meetings, the responsiveness, the sur- surveys, all those things tend to kind of help manage things. And a discipline leader picks one thing that most needs to change. And for a period of time, starting with a starting line and ending with a finish line and having a timeline or a deadline for accomplishment, they focus relentlessly on this thing. And between the whirlwind, which we spend most of our time in, and a little bit of time we set aside relentlessly to focus on this wildly important area, we're able to move things. And pretty soon that wildly important area is fixed. It goes back into the whirlwind and we pick another one. 
and slowly, systematically, we make our operations, we make our lives, we make our teams better. So I'm wanting to learn how to play basketball better. Maybe I'm working on my ball handling. That's my focus for a while. And then when I get really good at that, that doesn't have to be my focus anymore. It can go to something else because the ball handling becomes a lot more second nature. Right. right. And and that doesn't mean you go into a game and you say, I'm just going to ball handle. Right. <laughs> right. In the game, you're still playing right. the game. Right. But when you've got that focused practice time, you're focused on your ball yeah. handling. The book, uh, it's it's uh, great at work. It teaches that principle. It says, focus on less and then obsess. And it, they've discovered that those that focus on less and then obsess, they're the most successful. Those that focus on more and then stress... They can be successful for a little while and then fall apart and it sort of goes through those. I, I like where you say that, you know, that when you establish a wig, it's got to have a clear finish line that you're saying, okay, uh, from X to Y by when. The, the example they use that I, really is perfect in the, in the 1950s, you, you weren't around, right? In the, I know I wasn't around in the 1950s, but the U.S. had basically a struggling space program. The Russians were beating us, right? But they wanted to lead the world. So here you have Kennedy, John F. Kennedy in 1961 comes in and says this, and I'm saying this as a quote because I think it has that from X to Y by when. He said, we will put a man on the moon by the end of the decade and bring them home safely home. He didn't say, we're going to have the best space program ever. That's what it was. He now says, we will put a man on the moon by the end of the decade and bring them safely home. Now, accountability is like, whoa, that's very specific. But the other thing that happened that not just accountability went up, morale went up. There's a, and I love this quote by, by McChesney, one of the authors, it, you know, tangible change in morale happens when this specificity comes in. He says this, nothing is more motivating than belonging to a team of people who know the goal and are determined to get there. Now go back to that first question we asked you, you know, as you're looking at your facility or your department or does your team know the goal? And are they determined to get there? That really is your job as the leader. Nothing is more motivating than belonging to a team of people who know the goal and are determined to get there. And, you know, I, I really feel like, look, as a leader, you know how it is. A leader's belief shines through. I don't think they can fake it very well. You can just tell, and I've seen this, when different leaders go into operations or, or supervising departments, something just changes because the, the belief in that leader, the belief that that leader has just shines through and it spreads and, uh, and, and it's an incredible thing. But okay, so establishing that wig, one to three, one to three things, just something that you're going to be focused on. You're going to accomplish it by what time and this is what it looks like to accomplish it, right? And everybody's pushing for it. So now anything else to say on that before I go to discipline two? You're good? Okay. So discipline two, now it says act on the lead measures, not the lag measures. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So I don't think anyone listening to this podcast lacks ambition and lacks this idea of we make goals. As we grow up learning, we need to set goals, right? Maybe there's a little bit we're learning here about the nature of our focus that we have to have on our goals. But again, this is about execution. Why don't we succeed in our goals? Yeah. And one of the big reasons is because we focus on the wrong measures of our goals. Every January 1st, every year, uh, gym memberships spike. Right? Yeah. Everyone buys a gym membership. Everyone yeah. has these goals, these resolutions. I that want to lose. I want to 30 lose pounds. thirty pounds. And so they go and you know, gyms are 
packed full. You can yeah. hardly find a machine for the first couple of weeks of January and everyone's in there. But what happens is people want to lose 30 pounds. So maybe every day they get up and they get on the scale and they're like, I still weigh the same Dang amount. <laughs> Next day, still weigh the same amount. And yeah. it's depressing and it's not motivating. And pretty soon, like, why am I, why do I have this goal anyway? I'm going to just you know, do whatever comes naturally. In fact, one girl in the book, or no, it wasn't in the book. I think it was in an interview he did, uh, described these lag measures as, oh crap, or oh cool measures. Like you get on the scale, oh crap, I haven't lost that weight. Oh cool, I have lost that weight. Yeah, I mean, lags are exciting because they're easy to measure. A yeah. scale tells you you lost weight or you didn't. But the problem is, by the time a lag measure can accurately tell you something, yeah, it's too late. Yeah. Okay, so let's use that same example and talk about what a lead measure would be. Lead measure could be that um, every day I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes. I know every day if I succeeded or failed at that measure. I don't have to wait till the end of a month or two months or five months to have the scale tell me, hey, you lost 30 yeah. pounds. I exercise 30 minutes. And I'm going to eat 2,000 calories exactly. or less. The, yeah. the key elements of a good lead measure are two things. First, it's something that is predictive of success. Like if you chose in this example of losing weight, you know, if you chose some sort of a lead measure that has nothing to do with the yeah. signs of losing weight, it's not, it doesn't matter, right? It has to be predictive of losing weight. It has to be something that's really tied. And we're pretty sure if we do this diligently, it's going to get us the so result we want. So it's not going to be, I'm going to watch three hours of The Office every day. That's not going to be predictive of, right? It would be something you could measure every day, yeah. but it's not going to lead to, to, yeah. to success. Okay. Uh, and the other thing is it has to be influenceable. You have to feel like every day you have power to either win or lose at this measure, right? And, and, and that's harder because these things tend to be behavioral. And we want to yeah. go right to, you know, the scorecard on our computer or, you know, the number on the scale. Lead measures are behavioral and they're hard. But if we do them right, every day you can know if you're succeeding. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so if I'm so if I'm saying, okay, our goal is we want, and there's a lag measure, right? Our goal is we want to hit forty percent turnover. We we want to now now I've got to set up some lead measures, some things that I can do that I can affect, and that I know are going to be predictive of that turnover going down. So I'm going to do. Um, semi-annual reviews with all of my people and a hundred percent of the time, you know, every six months some, and I can track that. I can affect it. I can make sure that it's happening and it's going to be predictive when you're having better accountability, according to the money ball questions, that's going to be predictive of, of, you know, one of the things. I think, I think that's great. Let me give you an actual example from okay. one of our clusters okay. right now that there's a cluster leader who's really trying to apply these things. And it's a cluster where we have way too much agency use, mm -hmm. way too high of turnover, and we're, you know, our, our terms are higher than our hires, or okay. were at the time. So we sat down and we went through this, and, and I talked to him a week or so later. He, he got with his cluster partners, and they realized, okay, we're measuring turnover at All the right. end of each month, and we're beating each other up. And we're and measuring it's agency. Oh, crap or oh, cool. Exactly. Depending on what the number and comes it's in. Just, at. You hope it's going to be good, but it wasn't. Okay. What they decided to do is in their cluster, Every week they were going to report on, each building had different things, but one of the buildings, it was how many uh, interviews did the ED attend mm -hmm. that week? Okay, because he committed, my yeah. lead measures, I'm gonna attend every interview for a CNA, Cut. and I'm gonna make sure that person feels something special when they come to our facility. So they, so they hire on with us. Yeah. Another person, it was, I'm going to make sure that we relentlessly, every day, keep up our 90 day 
uh, scorecard. You know, the 90 day yeah. challenge. Yeah. The thing that, uh, you know, involves met, uh, department heads mentoring the new hires so they feel part of something yeah. and they don't leave in 90 days. So theirs was that. And they every week on their cluster call, they had to say, look, six out of seven days, we hit this. You know, we talked about this in stand-up. Mm-hmm. You either do or you don't. Yeah. Another one, it was... And then you track if that is predictive towards the lag measure. I mean, you see if the, that lag measure is going down. Well, yeah, and we'll talk about scorecards later. Okay. But what they did is, as they talked about... They weren't talking about what's your turnover this week. They were saying, did you do these things that are predictive yeah. and connected and, and, and influenceable every day? Yeah. And what they found do. was, of course, you do the right things over yeah. and over and over pretty soon there's this incredible momentum that leads to lower turnover and lower agency. Turns out if I do exercise and eat right, I do get healthier. It's incredible, you know, how it works. And all motivating, even if you're not perfect after a month, if you lose five pounds, what does that do to you? Okay, it's working. Right, right. And you know, every day, every week, I'm winning. Yeah, like nothing is more motivating than belonging to a team of people who know the goal, determined to get there. And then we could add on and they see the progress. They see, all right, so let's go to that. Uh, This next concept is one of my favorites and it has to do with having a compelling scoreboard. I mean, I talk a lot about showing the score. You could talk about three signs of a miserable job, right? The anonymity, irrelevancy, but the last one, immeasurement, like... I don't know what my I don't know if I'm winning or losing. I don't know what my green and clean is. So, what are the principles they talk about in creating a compelling scoreboard? Yeah. So, this is all about. They actually describe it as you got to make it compelling. You got to make it engaging. You know, people have to come to work thinking, "Hey, I'm going to know if I'm winning or losing today." They say. So, what does that mean? Is that like fun? Is that like a thermometer? Is that? that, It it can be a lot of those things. Basically, they say. Yeah, the concept is people play differently when they are, when they are keeping the score. Absolutely. So it can't so when not when the score is being kept for them, when they themselves when, are keeping the score. Yeah, when you're keeping score. In other words, the scorekeeping has to be something that's that that's at a level where every player knows. Yeah. You know what the score is. It has to be relevant to every player. They they talk about four um, characteristics of good scorekeeping. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can go into those and you yeah. can add some stuff. First thing is they say keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You think of a game like, you know, football. <laughs> There's a million stats, you yeah. know, the, the, the money ball, yeah. you know, of the, what, 90s. It was all about these, yeah. these stats. But at the end of the day, a player scorecard, they are keeping score, is, you know, how many points do we have? Yeah. What down it is? How many yards do we have to go? Things like that. Uh, a simple yards per scorecard. attempt. Yeah, there's, certain, there's certain ones that even just get flashed up on the screen. Right. Of the millions they could flash up, there's certain ones they want to show people. That's a great great point. So think about if you're at a game and there's that big scorecard, yeah. it probably has, the scoreboard has two or three key yeah. measures. That's a good players type scorecard. Yeah. When we do that, uh, the second thing is you got to keep it visible. It has to be, uh, you can't, you have, team members have to be able to see it frequently and easily. Yeah. It can't be something that you have to dig to try and know if you're winning or losing. It's there. And bright yeah. lights. I think of that in my first facility, people coming up to me and saying, hey, how how is our, you know, EBIT or how is our our productivity? And I and I was thrilled they were asking, but I look back and I think that should have been somewhere for them to see and to know. It's, I don't I don't it, think I did a good job with that on the compelling scorecard. It's such an scorecard. important thing that um, I think any leader can do. We yeah. can take simple steps to have a daily scorecard in our stand-up room. Uh-huh. And if it's if, if it's got lead measures mixed in with the lad, lag measures, people can come to stand-up and they'll be excited to come to stand-up each day once we get momentum because they'll be able to see, hey, we're winning. And, and before you get to three, so just to clarify, you're saying 
it's better when they bring the score and show the when the dietary super comes in and says, hey, this is how we're doing here, as opposed to the ED reporting on the score to everybody. Yeah. I mean, here's a simple example of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. There was a football game mm -hmm. right after um, uh, Hurricane Katrina. Okay. Uh, it was the rivalry game. Football's a big deal in the South. Mm -hmm. And the stands were packed. The game started. There was a problem. The score scoreboard was destroyed by the hurricane. Okay. It wasn't working. Uh -huh. Within five minutes, players were sloppy and the stands, no one was paying any attention. Yeah. Right? It, the the officials were keeping score. Right. They had it in but their little booklet. Could see it. No one could see the score. Yeah. And so people lost interest in it. It's no different in our operations. Yeah. Now, what we're doing is not a game. Right. What we're doing is so much more important. So why not use this simple concept that works in games yeah. to work in our life-changing operations? Our CNAs need to know their call light response times or their customer service feedback results and those scores should be... Okay. All right. Okay. So the third principle... Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it, but it's showing lead and lag measures, right? If it's only lag measure scorecards, it's not changeable enough that we're going to look at it every day. But it is saying, because I would have thought, says focus on the lead measures, but it's saying show the lag measures too. Continue to show the turnover. We do want that lag measure to go down, but we need to show the lead measure with it so that they can see the correlation between the That's two. That's exactly right. Okay. And, and if, if, if turnover is a monthly measure... Saying every day we're still at ninety-seven percent turnover. Okay. It's not motivating every day. Okay. Right. That's a measure that comes in, and when we drop to ninety-two, we celebrate it. And drop to eighty-five, we celebrate yeah. it. But it, we're celebrating it because every day we're hitting our interviewing goal or our mentoring goal or whatever that is. Right. Okay. And then the fourth one, fourth principle. It, it just has to be clear if you're winning or losing. You have to be able to glance at it and say, "I had a good day," right. or "I didn't," and then you pivot and you adjust. I, I've been in meetings where I've seen like complicated data and I'm like, all right, I don't know what that's telling me <laughs> yet. And and again, it might be good data and they just need to teach me and train me a little bit more effectively, but but making sure that it's clear. Look, I I love this. I've seen and you've seen, I know, facilities just turn around just by this principle on showing the score more effectively and getting the department heads and the employees to report their own scores. And it, it's just a... Uh, again, the book says that the single biggest contributor to employee morale is feeling like you're winning and that you're making an impact. And that's so true with me. Anytime I, I look and think, do I love my job? Do, if I feel like I'm making an impact, I love my job. If I don't, I I don't. I mean, I, I worked at an accounting firm and I just, I was a grunt worker and I did not feel, and I was working hard, but I was working hard so that somebody would be happy with me and I don't know. That That's a miserable way to live. The cool thing, Clay, just before we go on is okay. every person listening to this podcast can apply these principles and make themselves happier and make the people that they're, yeah. you know, responsible. We have the stewardship and the, the, the blessing of getting to lead. Yeah. We can change people's lives by simply doing the things we've talked about already. But the problem is if we only focus on picking the right goals, focusing really hard, measuring them, right. showing the score, it's still not enough. We okay. still tend to not execute. And this is what we probably need to talk about. Yeah. So let's get into my greatest weakness. This, this, this fourth discipline of execution, creating a cadence of accountability. How do you do that? So I, I think for me, the thing that I, I love about this, it's hard, but I love about our organization is we have a cadence. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think this four disciplines is made for us. 
we can do this. A lot of organizations probably would have to hire a big old consulting firm to come in and change everything in order to execute a little bit better. What do you mean by that? Why, why are we set up for that? Because look at the cadence we naturally have. Every day we have stand-up meeting. Okay. Hopefully every week. And if you don't, you can change this. But every week, every department head's got a one-on-one with the ED. Hmm. Or key nurses hopefully have a one-on-one with their nursing leader. Things so you're like, saying the system is already kind of naturally set up. We just need to use it. We've got all staff meeting. We've got Medicare meeting. We've got fill in the blank. We've got the cluster. We've got a weekly call. We've got a monthly cluster meeting. The cadence or the rhythm is there for us. My yeah. question for everyone is, think about your cadence in your building, in your cluster, in your life. Is your cadence a cadence of accountability or is it just a rhythm? Is it just something that you're doing t- to do it because you know you're supposed to do it? It's on your daily, weekly, monthly and okay, so so how do you make sure, what, what do you do to make sure it's a true cadence? Like, what are we asking for? How, how, how do we do that more effectively? Yeah, so the, the book, um, you know, they go into some kind of prescriptive stuff here. Uh-huh. And I, I think it's good. For me, it's as simple as, let, let's use the stand-up. Okay. We talked about having a scorecard and every uh-huh. day, if our wig is, our most, you know, wildly important goal is, We've got to improve the employee experience so we don't have this turnover and we don't have this agency use. Every day is our stand-up meeting talking about did we either succeed or fail at the lead measure we identified. Right. Maybe maybe it's every employee gets a quick connect every day. And that, okay, did we do that this week? Did, did every employee, were they quick connected with? I mean, that's probably not the right way to say it, but did they have a quick connect every day? Um, you know, did I say... Did I, did I do what I said I would do? Did I do it effectively? And, and then what am I going to fix? You know, Absolutely. how am I going to get better? Let's use another example. So, you know, a lot of EDs will do a one-on-one weekly with the department heads. And that is such an awesome opportunity. Imagine every one of your department heads has an area that he or she has identified as needing the most focus. As their own wig. Their wig. Okay. They've identified lead measures that they're tracking every day with their teams. And they've got a good scorecard. Mm. And every week they come and sit down with you and we talk about how are we progressing with that wig. Think of the power awesome. that we have in our this organization. This just seems like this is, yeah, this is the prescription for an ED. It could, <laughs> it, it would not only change operation. your life and help you as an ED, yeah. think of how it would change the confidence, the happiness, and the impact of your leaders. Yeah. This has been proven. I mean, uh, organizations that allow each department head to do this, focus, yeah. measure, track, and then celebrate or you know, contemplate how to make it better. This is powerful. And week after week, month after month, you're knocking things off. And pretty soon you're a flag flying facility that's changing the world. And and you're seeing things turn around. You're seeing examples of this where people are succeeding right now. Yes. And as you do this, I'll I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. We had a, I'll give you a market leader example. I already talked about a a cluster example. Mm -hmm. Here's a market example. There was a market that Census is just, it's hard. We're trying to get our occupancy back up with all the staffing pressure, mm-hmm. with, you know, fewer patients, with the limitations on our rooms because of quarantine. But this market leader and his partner decided, look, we're going to find a way t- to move census to a level it's never been, even pre-pandemic. We're going to beat where we were pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. They set that wig for a month. They got with their pack resources. They figured out how can we get lead measure data on. Okay, because that's a lag measure, right? Right, that's He's a, lag measure. a lag measure. Okay. So they got um, weekly data on response okay. time to inquiries. Okay. Okay. Response time. And, right. and that market leader relentlessly published it. Yeah. And he published it in a fun way where people looked forward to the scorecard. Okay. He created a, a competition. Okay. That census 
um, their goal was to be at 1,730 by the end of July. Uh They set the goal like July 7th. Uh It had never been there. It was 1,731 on July 31st. And it kept going and it reached 1,770, I think. Once you start winning, you want to keep winning. You like that feeling. People want to be on a winning team. (laughs) And think about their wigs switched in that market. But guess what? There was enough momentum on census. It went back into the whirlwind and the whirlwind carried it for a couple months. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Super exciting. Okay. So, all right. So establishing your wildly important goal, uh, you know, acting on your lead measures, not your lag measures, creating a compelling scorecard, and then creating a cadence of accountability, right? That's the... This is how we focus on the execution. I, one person said this. I thought it was interesting. He said, we don't have dragons swooping down, knocking us off our priorities. We have gnats that bother us and knock us off the goal. But the cadence keeps me on track so the gnats don't throw me, right? That It's that I, you know, I realize as a leader I need to provide simple, direct clarity by separating the wig from the whirlwind. What is it that are, are, are going to be our focus right now? Um, and again, just that scorecard and making it fun and reporting and then retooling and all these other things. I, I, I really think that if we can do this well, the, these four disciplines of execution can really take us to the next level. Any final thoughts before we, before we finish this? I would just say I, I love these concepts because they make sense. They match with all the other books we've read for all these, you know, years. We've got three signs of a miserable job in here. We've got five dysfunctions. Yeah, we've got advantage. We've got good to great. It, but what it does is it helps us take those principles, those strategies, and just systematically make progress daily, weekly, monthly on executing what we, what we want to execute. Problem is it's not natural to be focused and it's not natural mm. to be effective. In the past, maybe... We were in a time where just being a charismatic, great leader was enough. I feel like the scales have tipped so much in the last couple of years. We've got great, the, the whirlwind has never been stronger in my opinion. Yeah, We've got great leaders and we've got new leaders that are spinning. New leaders that are jumping into the whirlwind and they almost think their job is just to respond and survive in the whirlwind, whereas they need to step aside and create these four disciplines of execution inside the whirlwind. Inside the whirlwind so they can survive and thrive and their teams can be what they need to be. We even have some of our most seasoned, competent leaders that are spinning in the whirlwind. It's natural. And you know what? It's okay. Let's step back and let's start applying these things. I know that these principles can help. I mean, focus. Focusing, call it a wig, call it whatever you want. This idea of focusing on what's most important and moving a dial, it's not only motivating, it's life-changing for our organizations. This idea of identifying lead measures that really help us know if we're winning or losing in a time period when we can change them. Instead of just waiting to see if it worked. Right, and, yeah. then, the, and then dying of a broken heart yeah. when, when it doesn't work yeah. and feeling discouraged. I think it's powerful, this idea of scorecards. We've known this for a long time, but our core value of celebrations, think how powerful our celebrations can be when they're tied to winning. And it doesn't have to be, hey, we were perfect for a year. It could be, we were bad at this, and this week we focused on it, and look what we just accomplished. Let's celebrate this. Yeah. Celebrations are tied to scorecards, and, and that becomes powerful. And then we have this cadence. Do we have a cadence of accountability? As we turn our cadence into a cadence of account- accountability, it's not going to only make us happy, make us fulfilled, and make us effective. It's going to transform our results, and it's going to help us with our core value of customer second. People want to be part of a winning team. Yeah. People... We owe it to our people to create an environment where they can come, 
they can give their best efforts and they can know that it's making a difference. And that's something we can do as leaders. Well, Spencer, I see why you've been pushing this for so long and you're why I read this book. I, I knew you were teaching it to a lot of different people. You've converted me. I, I'm, I hope everybody that's listened to this podcast not only listens to it again, but I hope they spread the word and they, that they share it with their teams and their leaders and and that we really kind of make this a focus push in our organization to, to employ these four disciplines of execution. Uh, I just, I think with all the strategies and the visions and the mission that we talk about, if we can employ this, uh, I just think it can make a huge difference. So thanks for coming and chatting with us about that. That's great. Thank you. Connor, wake up.